Good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. Good to see everybody here again this morning. Glad to have those of you watching uh, remotely, whether again live at this very instant or watching later. And I'll say good afternoon by the time those of our friends and family out at Knowles are watching with us. Uh, we want you to know that you are part of us every bit as much as if you were sitting here with us this morning. Uh, glad again to have uh, some of our folks back who uh, had been gone for a while. Whenever you're gone, we, we missed you all. So we want you to know that we love you and glad you were here. We're talking once again about 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. What I will assure you is this is the last lesson from this uh, set of verses. It's always humorous when we get up to read it. We're like, oh, what a surprise. We're having the same verse we had before, but that's the nature of doing a series where you want to focus on different aspects that are revealed in the verse. This morning, again, the series has been, it all adds up. And the picture on the screen that's been here every week is that of some sort of uh, newfangled teal kind of colored adding machine. I don't think they had those back in the day. But when you're using an adding machine, when you add things up, you're adding, you're adding, you're adding. Each time you key something in, you're focused on the one thing you're adding, but the reason you're using an adding machine, usually, is to get a grand total. You want to make sure you total things up. You add things up. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that our focal point this morning is, if you will, the grand total of all of these items that we have looked at over the last several weeks. Because love truly is the grand total. Look with me again at the verse. For this very reason, giving all diligence, again, work at it. Add to your faith your knowledge of who God is and who Jesus is. Add to your faith virtue. And when we talked about virtue, we said that was moral excellence. It was doing your best. It was putting in your effort to achieve the best thing for you. Moral excellence. Add to your faith virtue. The virtue knowledge. The idea of knowing how to conduct ourselves in situations. Once I have achieved some moral excellence, once I do my best, when I'm faced with a tough situation and a choice between A or B, I will be choosing the path that God wants me to make, that God wants me to choose. And then once I am choosing the right way, again, part of that result will be adding to that knowledge self-control. The ability to refrain from doing things that I want to do because they will not be things God wants me to do. And as an aside, I hope you remember, I said self-control actually is kind of a, a wrong uh, a term I might have used slightly differently. I would have phrased it as God control. Because when my life is truly in God's hands, God's the one in control, and self is put in His hands and in His control. To self-control patience, if I'm choosing to do what God wants me to do, I know God has a plan for my life. I'm not going to be impatient with other people or circumstances. That one's hard because we always want to pray, give me patience and give it to me right now. I have to hang in there. I have to give time for things to work out as God says they will for the overall good. To patience, godliness. And we said godliness has been a word that the Greek people used as close as they had a word for it for religion in total. And what they meant by that was being in the right circumstance, the right relationship with the gods, in their view, and with your fellow neighbor. Well, for us, godliness means 
loving God and loving our neighbor, which of course flows as part of developing into the kind of person God wants me to be. Last week, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we talked about brotherly kindness, sisterly kindness. The idea and the knowledge that we are family, that we are brothers and sisters, and when one of us is happy, we can all be happy. When one of us is hurting, when one of us is struggling, we are all focused on the struggling, hurting person. We shouldn't have a situation where one of us is suffering on a problem and the rest of us are really unaware of it, not focused on it, not praying about it, not seeking to help. The beauty of a family is, yeah, families can have disagreements, families can have arguments, of course they can, but when the chips get down, when somebody in the family needs something, the family comes together quickly. Unless they're a very dysfunctional family, God's family should never be that way. We love each other because God loved us and we're family. Today, the sum of all of those, the, the kind of the tree upon which every one of these different qualities hangs is simply flat out love. Do we have these qualities? If I'm missing one of the qualities, I will suggest perhaps it's because I don't have love where it needs to be. What does God want his children to be? Let's look at that overriding totality, the grand total, if you will, of all of these qualities God wants us to possess, love. I find it kind of funny that when you compare this list of qualities here in 2 Peter 1 with the fruit of the Spirit, the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, there are similarities and there's actually one big difference. Look at them here with me. Add to your faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, and then look at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control is in the list in both places. Patience is in the list in both places. It's a very similar list. In fact, love is in both places. The big difference is in the fruit of the Spirit, love comes first. Whereas in Peter's list, love comes last. I would suggest fruit of the Spirit comes from love, from the Spirit dwelling within us, sending out, if you will, these branches that develop into fruits. But with love in our hearts, because God loved us, that's how, in a sense, the fruit of the Spirit grows within us. Peter's list is make sure you have all these things within you because they all should spring from love, but he puts it last. What a great thought. No matter which way you go, you can either start with love and work your way out to the different qualities, or if the qualities are coming within you, you know that in total they all represent love. Start and the end. Start and the end point are both love. The passage about the fruit of the Spirit starts with love, and Peter's ends with it. How appropriate. The Spirit comes, as I say, from God's Spirit dwelling within us, and the first manifestation of that is love. Peter's list loves the very end. It all adds up. The grand total of everything here is love. So what does the Bible say about love? What does the Bible say about love? Well, love comes from God. First John chapter 4, verse 7 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. It really is from only by knowing God that we learn how to love. And it's only by loving that we know and learn how to follow God. Absolutely, people who are not Christians, people who would say, I don't know God, can love. 
I would suggest to you that's because of the influence of Christianity, the influence of God in the world, and the fact that God creates us with a sense of ought and ought not. And in a sense of right and wrong, our conscience, and our conscience is still that, if you will, that inner voice of God speaking within us that we all possess that leads people to be nice to each other, to be kind to each other, and to show love. It's as if it's a remnant of God's impressions upon each and every person who lives that can be stamped out if people continue to ignore it, but can live within us, hopefully leading us to God, but not always. But as we say here, love is from God, whether we're a follower of God or not. But if we're a follower of God, if we love because God loves us, we learn how to follow God. So love comes from God and often will and should lead us to God. It is by love that God is known. You know, we cannot see God. He's a spirit. What we can see is his effect. Think about it. You can't see the wind, but last night, I guess, what, around 10 o'clock? We could feel the effect of wind as it was blowing things around all over the place. You can't see electricity. Sure, you can see the spark. You can see the result of using electricity with the light coming on. You can feel it if you're kind of foolish and stick something into the outlet. Come on, let's admit it. How many of us when we were kids did something like that and felt the mm-hmm? Yeah? Hopefully we haven't done that in the last month. Hopefully we have learned a bit not to do that kind of thing. The effect of God, the effect of God's presence is love. I can't see God, but I can know that God is here, that God is within someone by the effect it has on their life. It's when God comes into someone's heart that they are clothed with love of God and the love of others. That's how it ought to be. It has been said, a saint is someone within whom Jesus lives again. I know Jesus is alive. He is standing at the right hand of God. He is, he's, he's still living. I'm talking about here on the earth. It's as if a saint, a follower of Jesus, is someone that Jesus is still living within them. He's alive again. It's, it's a demonstration of, of God. This demonstration of God comes not from arguing. I'm, I'm very familiar with the arguments for the existence of God. You can argue back and forth about that. The best way to demonstrate God is real is to live a life of love toward God and toward other people. God's love toward us was demonstrated through the sending of Jesus and the life Jesus led and the sacrifice Jesus gave for us. A couple of verses later in 1 John 4, it is in this the love of God was made manifest. It was demonstrated among us how that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had separated ourselves from God through our own choices, through our own doing, with no hope in the world. No hope of ever bridging that gap. You couldn't build a temple big enough. You couldn't love enough people. You couldn't help enough people. Nothing was going to bridge that gap, as it were, between us and God. Once we separated ourselves from our own choices, to an extent, we were done for until God sent his son to live and to die to reconcile us to God, to give us the path back to God. That is how the love of God was demonstrated while we were sinners. Jesus died for the ungodly. That was me. That was you. 
When you look at Jesus, you see two things, if you will, about God's love. It's a love that holds nothing back. A love that holds nothing back. God was prepared to give his only son to make a sacrifice beyond which no, uh, no sacrifice can possibly go in his love for us. What would you have had him give? He gave that which was closest to him. He gave the ultimate sacrifice to bring us back. If God had sent, you know, a, a little dove floating around in the sky and the dove fell from the sky and died, that wouldn't have been nearly as much of a sacrifice to God as sending his son who was put to death because of me. How's that for a sacrifice? It's also a totally undeserved love. We referenced that idea a moment ago. While we were yet sinners, while I was in rebellion to God, while the world was in rebellion to God, there is none righteous, no, not one, in that state where, if you will, we were shaking our fists to heaven saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. God could have just turned away and said, fine. Written the entire world off. He didn't. He loved us even when we were in rebellion to God, when we were sinners. While we were sinners, sent his son to live and die. He loves poor and disobedient creatures like us. And I'll add to this, like me. Look at Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love toward us. We've said this verse a moment ago. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a real shame when Jesus died for us and we remain sinners. That sacrifice has already been made and we choose, if you will, to leave it on the table, so to speak. The sacrifice has been offered. It's right there. It's an easy thing to grab hold of, to take uh, into your life, and we ignore it. We leave it. Look at 2 John 1, 5 and 6. In 2 John, John is writing either to a lady named Electa or to a church. The word for church comes from the idea of election, those who have been chosen. No one's really sure if it's to an individual, a woman, or to a congregation. But he says, and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Focus of all of us should be that we love one another. That's a big part of it. We sang about that. We read about that. We should love each other and our neighbors. This is love. What? What's love? That we walk according to his commandments, to God's commandments, to what Jesus communicated to us. And what is that commandment? Well, this is the commandment that as you heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. What? The new commandment that we've had from the beginning. What's this commandment that we need to walk, that we need to in it, that we need to walk in, that we need to have a part of our lives that we need to focus on with every day and every interaction and every person? That we love one another. But what if I don't love somebody? I'll pick on Jim. Maybe I don't love him. Look at the verse. I'm not following the commandment God has sent to me. I know it's tough to love me. There might be somebody out there it's tough for me to love. The commandment is, is that we find a way to love one another. We all have failings. We all have things 
that we do, that we wish we didn't, that are sinful, love one another. If God loved me, how can I not love other people? If God loves you, make it tougher, how can you not love me? We love one another because God loved us first. Matthew 5, let's make it a little tougher. Jesus speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. There are a lot of enemies in the world, right? I'm going to love my countrymen, my countrywomen, my fellow citizens, but boy, I sure hate people in that country right there, pointing them out. You know, I'll love my brothers and sisters, but let's don't talk about the boss. Let's don't talk about that person down at the, the cleaners or what, that lady at the checkout. She really got me mad. I don't love her at all. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Look at what Jesus says. But I say to you, he's going to make it really hard. I say to you, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Come on, Jesus, why do you want to make it so hard? These people are mean to me. They don't like me. Why can't I dislike them back? Why can't I wish their house would fall in on them? Why can't I wish a, a, a hole would open up in the ground and swallow them? Why can't I wish they would get audited? Why can't I wish all sorts of bad things might happen to them after all? They're my enemy. I remember one of America's greatest enemies in the last 20 years or so was an individual who helped mastermind or directed the 9-11 events. You remember when they finally caught up with him? Took his life, the team went in, killed him. He was a big enemy, apparently a very evil person, but it really bothered me to see the huge amount of celebration going on. You know, is the world a safer place without this individual in it? Yes, undoubtedly, because there's no indication he was not planning on a whole lot of other things. I don't see anywhere where even the most evil person on the face of the earth is somebody I should cheer about when they die. I was supposed to love him and pray for him that he might find the truth. He didn't. He has to face God with the choices he made just as I'm going to face God with the choices I made. This is a hard thing. This is a very hard thing to love my enemies. To love my enemies. Jesus says I need to do it. Why? that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. When I learn to at least love the person in my day-to-day -day life, that person is far away. When I learn to have love and want the best for somebody who really gets on my wrong side, who really doesn't seem to treat me nicely, who really is not kind to me, I'm on my way to becoming a real child of my Father who's in heaven. Love my enemies. Try to, I just don't see any place in the Bible where Jesus expects us, God expects us, or would say that's okay for hate to start expressing itself, even if somebody's mean or evil to me. 
that's a hard one. That's a hard one. I will suggest to you it's tough, but it's very necessary. It's tough, but it's very necessary. Jesus says, love your neighbors and your enemies. And that sounds like everybody to me. Love everybody. After going through this list of qualities that we've been studying for a long time, for a number of weeks now, Peter then says, for if these things are yours and abound, if you have patience, if you have kindness, if you have self-control, if you have love and brotherly kindness, if you have these things and they're just growing and growing and increasing, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful. Those are double negatives. You will not be barren. You will not be unfruitful. You could say that you will be fruitful. Change it into a positive. If these things are yours, you will not only not be barren, you will be fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I develop into the kind of person God wants me to be, I will continue to grow. I will be a blessing to the people around me because I'll have love for everybody and I will be seeking good things for other people. I will be loving God and I'll be loving my neighbor. And that will bear fruit. Leanne and I heard someone speaking Friday, and to see whether it's Thursday or Friday. She's, she's checking too now that I mentioned it. Someone speaking Friday on how to be an evangelistic congregation, an evangelistic group of God's people. And one of the things that was said was being kind to people and loving people in your day-to-day -day shows that you're different and can often bring people in. There were a lot of other suggestions. I may turn those into some things that we'll study. If I am the kind of person God wants me to be, I'll be loving people, and that will interest people in learning about Jesus. Because if we add these things, we're going to be fruitful. But there's a contrasting thing to this. He who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness. And look at that last phrase, has forgotten that they were cleansed from their old sins. The imagery here is that if you don't have these things, the reason you don't have these things, and the, the language is rather humorous in the original, it's as if you've done this. I can't see any of that. And that's the kind of person he's describing. You know, when you go outside and the sun's so bright, you're off, especially if you've been in a dark place, what do you do? You walk outside and you're like, man, that's bright. The light of God in lives, in our lives and in the lives of other people, to those who don't want to see it, can be so bright that they want to squinch up their eyes, squish up their eyes to keep it out. And so many people who don't develop these kind of qualities may have become a child of God, but they forget. They forget that God cleansed us from all of our sins. They forget that God made us a new person and they go back just like the pig to the pig trough. Wash off the pig, what are they gonna be? An hour later, they're back in the mud. It's tough to keep a clean pig. Well, unfortunately, sometimes it's tough to keep somebody focused on the fact that God forgave us from our sins because too often some people continue to go back to the sinful life they had before. So if these are in me and are growing, I will be having fruit, bearing fruit for God in the knowledge of Jesus. But if I lack these things, if I'm not growing in these things, 
I may be squishing up my eyes trying to keep out God's presence because I may be wanting to go back to my formal way of life. So my question this morning is, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you so that you could turn around and start walking back to God instead of walking away from him, doing that very thing by being buried in water, being baptized so God can wash away your sins, raise you up as a new person. If you did those things in the past, but these qualities just don't seem to be showing up in your life as frequently as perhaps they should be showing up. Have I been forgetting from time to time that I was cleansed of my sins? Is that the reason why perhaps I'm not living the way God wants me to be? It's good news. You're not a member of God's family. You can become a member of God's family today. And if you are a member of God's family and things just aren't going the way you want, we can take your name before God, pray that God will help you to focus on becoming the kind of person he wants you to be, ask God if needed for to forgive you of any sins, because we all need that each and every day. That call is for each one of us here this morning as we stand and sing.